You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since 1977. Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back, Will and Sammy. We're here to talk some some movies this week. We got uh, a little vigilante jam on the docket this week with uh, Arrow's release of Fighting Back from, uh, what was it, 1982? I feel like it's 82. <laughs> I feel like it is too. Uh, if I feel like you're right. As a matter of fact, I know you're right because I just double-checked. I also feel like it's pretty impressive that the star of said Vigilante Jam, Tom Skerritt, just celebrated a 90th birthday yesterday, two days ago. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I think he was at uh, he was at Horror Hound, I think, this past uh, couple oh, weeks way, ago. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow, good for him. Yeah, Tom Skerritt hanging in there. Hanging in there. I don't know. Uh, I haven't. Seen him in uh, a long time. I can't remember the last thing I saw him in. I know he did a film not too long ago, though. He did a Western, it looks like. Yeah, some type of, uh, yeah. Split. So, he's still working on occasion. Yeah, awesome. The very, the ever quiet, uh, subtle uh, Tom Skerritt in some ways. Sometimes he can be over the top, but he's got this kind of interesting way of acting that's kind of, we'll talk about it. Subtle and quiet in this film. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And this one, he's a, yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that. We will. Let's just say he's Italian in this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, we are back. We hope, uh, I, I, you know, address the uh, kind of elephant in the room or the shark in the room, so to speak. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview that uh, I was able to do with Steve Scarlatta, the director of Sharksploitation. Will couldn't be there, as you know, if you listen to the interview. Um but I, obviously, I know Will wanted to be, but he just couldn't at the time. Um, but uh, I'm glad we got that done and got that out there. I know Steve's done some interviews with some other stuff. I've heard some, you know, I've read some nice things, and I appreciate that. It's always nerve-wracking doing anything by yourself. And even though I technically wasn't by myself, I still felt like I was kind of by myself there. So it was 
it was nerve wracking, but, uh, Steve's a dear, dear friend and, uh, to us both. And, uh, we're very happy for him uh, in getting a film directed and, uh, and made. And, uh, you know, that's something that a lot of us film lovers, you know, it's a dream and, uh, he managed to accomplish that dream. So that's pretty amazing. It's, it's, it's really impressive. And he's been a friend of ours and really without blowing smoke up anyone's rear end, including his own, uh, um, <laughs> including, including one of the, our own. Yes. Including our own. He's one of the sweetest people we've had the, the pleasure of becoming friends with dude loves film. I, I said this to someone the other day. He dressed as Martin Cove and Steel Justice for Halloween one year. We still have yet to see the picture, but if you do that, you are always in our good books. And yeah, it was a it's a wonderful documentary. I'm glad we had the chance as a show, even if I couldn't be on it for uh, you know for my own reasons. Um, had a chance to to talk to him about that because it's a really wonderful documentary. It takes a very measured approach. It doesn't just go for some of the the obvious kind of kitschy, ridiculous angles. Like he has marine biologists and people to look at um, the whole shark exploitation phenomenon in a very even-handed way. And it, it, some filmmakers would not have brought that to the table. So he does a really great job. And I'm glad he's, he's fighting the good fight and living the dream. That's right. That's right. Um, so I'm glad folks have enjoyed that and, uh, hopefully we'll do more of those. Hopefully we'll do more of those. I know we don't do as much of that as we used to, but things are starting to open up a little bit every now and then now for us. So hopefully we'll do more of it. Um, all right, let's kind of, let's uh, see what we got here. I think we got some feedback. I'm pretty sure we do, but of course, you know, if I was ready, I don't know if this podcast would be worth listening to (laughs) i'm never ready but um i do have some here from uh walt our good friend walt the master feedbacker that's right uh let me see here i can pull this up here we go gentlemen good to be speaking with you again (laughs) enjoyed your review of ai uh you guys recommended the corruption of chris miller thank you for that i checked it out Quite enjoyed it. Red Will's review. He gave it four stars. I'm going to give it three and a half. He mentioned yeah. the the uh, musical score of the movie, which I, I also appreciated. Uh, <clears throat> a bit on the uh, long side for me. And, uh, you know, because it was the end of the Franco era, uh, you weren't going to get any nudity unless it was the export version, although this comes very close. And uh, that uh, factor can bump something up for me, uh, probably half a star at least. But but a good movie regardless. I don't know if you guys or your kids watch or play video games. I play, watch. Uh, there's a well-done sort of interactive movies now. Um, one call from last year called The Quarry. thought I'd mention it. I, I, I haven't played it, but I watched some, some other people play it. Mm. Uh, check out the cast. It's got... Uh, it's got uh, uh, Lance Hendrickson, it's got Ted Raimi, it's got Grace Zabriskie from Twin Peaks, and it's got former WCW World Heavyweight Champion, David Arquette. What a yes. cast. Not in a movie, but in a game, a video game. Yeah. So check that out. Thanks, guys. Yeah, these, uh, I know of these games of which he speaks, these are, um, 
they're kind of narrative based games uh, made by the same company. And uh, they did one uh, a while back called Until Dawn. And I think they did some uh, Man of Badan stuff. Uh, between the two of us, Walt, in case you didn't know, I'm probably more the gamer than Will is. Um, not to say Will isn't, but I'm probably a more uh, kind of cognizant of that stuff. I play quite a bit um, uh, in between trying to squeeze films in. It's the one thing that, yeah, it's the one thing that eats up my film watching, damn it. Yeah, you know, plot twist, I am very aware of this game. Ah, yes, nice. There we go. Only because I bought it for our younger son for Christmas. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Good. My kids loved it. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. You know, there's lots of different paths it can go down. It's really well done. It's a really lovingly made game, If you you know, for early 80s slashers. It's got a few other... I don't want to spoil it, but there's some some other kind of drive-in um, elements that, like people like, um, well, actually, I don't want to spoil it, but there's there's some cool elements in there um, that I think people will dig. Like our bud Mike Mike Lensley, and you are both fans of uh, these this sort of genre or subgenre of film that kind of ties in with it. So right. Right. Yeah. 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 A lot of video, a lot of video games in my life. Uh, there has been over the years. My son plays them. My daughter plays them. Obviously Will's kids play them. Um, you know, uh, teach their own and to lesser degrees. I know sometimes they get a bad rep, but honestly, um, there's worse things you could be doing. Gosh. Yeah. I don't, I I don't know. Most, (laughs) most, uh, people playing video games are uh, probably, (laughs) probably the most normal people you'll ever meet. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it, it's a it's a great uh, world to get into, especially if you. The only problem for me is is I've gotten older. It's just time. Uh, I just don't have the time That's to put into these things that I used to. And video games are huge. Video games, some video games, narrative based ones anyway, which is all I really play. I'm not really an online shooter kind of guy or nothing like that. Um, those games can you know. There's one coming up that's you know seventy to you know a hundred. 200 hours or something like that. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of time. And then you invest that time and then something else comes along and you're like, shit, I want to play that. And, uh, you know, it just continues this uh, rabbit hole and you just never feel like you can catch up. Mm-hmm. So, so it can be kind of rough for somebody like me. So let me say this to someone like you and someone like a lot of us, I just saw coincidentally, you probably knew this. I just saw this morning that there's going to be a, PS5, Xbox, and I think Steam, maybe, if I'm remembering correctly, are going to have a pretty high-end version of Killer Clowns from Outer Space, where the Kyoto <laughs> brothers were involved in the making of. Oh, nice. Nice. So that looks nice. It's going to be similar to the Friday the 13th game, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some games like that. I think the uh, they just released Texas Chainsaw Massacre that way. Oh, yeah, man. That's right. I heard that. So yeah. that's, that's cool. It's, it's funny. Like, I wish I had more time because... It's like all these things I would have loved to have played are out now. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, more time. Yeah. But. Well, you know, there's always there's always the future. It's not like games are going to get uh, less advanced. That's for sure. Oh, very true. Um. All right. Thanks, Walt. We appreciate that. I don't think I have any other feedback. I'm glad he dug Chris Miller, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad he dug it as well. I, you know, I just can't remember what I gave it when we talked about it on the show. I mean, I can go back and listen. I'm very curious to hear what you guys gave it and and see where you sat on it too, man. Because yeah. 
other than being a little long, I think it's a pretty darn good entry in the genre. Yeah. Let's get into what we've been watching. We'll see what we've been up to, man. Okay, so what have I been up to? I've been up to a few things. Um, let me just pull up the the trusted uh, watch list here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Monse, I'm almost singing. Okay, so did I talk about? I talked a little bit about shark exploitation, obviously. Did I talk about Red Eye? Yeah, I, think I did. Yeah. Oh, okay, man. I watched one that I wanted to see, and you seeing it and really digging it spurred it spurred me to see it uh, a lot sooner than maybe I would have. And that's Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this one. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, one. <laughs> it is an interesting film. I like it quite a bit. Uh-huh. I think it's a little on the nose with some of its stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, probably because people like us tend to watch a lot of shocking stuff. Like I remember reading reviews that people were kind of shocked and horrified at some of the stuff they saw on screen. But I don't know. I don't know if that speaks to all the, the garbage and the the visceral stuff we've seen on screen, but I wasn't really phased. That's not to say it's not done effectively because it is. Um, But the thing I really admire as much as branding Cronenberg, it's evident that, you know, daddy's DNA is in there is I admire that he takes chances and I admire that he has good talent that believes in him enough to put themselves out there creatively in the films. Yeah. Like Goth and Sarsgaard, you know, they're both great. He gives a really unhinged performance. Like he does some pretty pretty wild things in this film. Yeah, Skarsgard. Yeah, Skarsgard, yeah. Yeah, man. He <laughs> he definitely does. He definitely does. But uh, I liked it. I thought it was a good film, interesting film. I'll see everything he does. I think I've seen two he's made three films, I believe, correct? Uh yes. Possessor, uh Viral and uh, Infinity Pool. So I know, have I seen Viral? I know I've seen Possessor. I quite liked it. So he's he's an interesting filmmaker for me. I think uh, he, to me, ironically, you know, a lot of people love Panos Cosmatos. I'm not as big a fan. I feel like this is what I want from Cosmatos as a filmmaker, a little more substance to go with his visual. Um, but no, this is a good film, man. <laughs> good yeah. film. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, I think the, uh, the violence quotient, I think the reason why Cronenberg gets attention for that is because there's just not a lot of people, especially American filmmakers. There's not a lot of them uh, delving that far into violence anymore. It's like almost a taboo thing now. Well, and I'll say this to you too. Something that's always been problematic for some people, uh, and Cronenberg does this, is he mixes sex and violence. Yes. Yeah. So that's an un- those are uncomfortable bedfellows for some people. Yeah, some people do not like that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shifted gears completely. It's on Criterion Channel of all things. Uh, the wife and I watched, uh, and I hadn't seen it. God, I don't know how many years. Desperately seeking Susan. Oh yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah, that one. This was so pervasive on on shelves in video stores back in the day. I, I just remember always, always seeing it. Um, so my personal loathing of madonna aside you know this was you know uh when she was she was coming up um the film's charming i i've said before 
80s films for me are really comfort food. Um, just seeing that backdrop, it takes me back to my childhood. And this is a very 80s film. But the big takeaway from this as an adult and someone who's watching it, you know, for enjoyment, but also through a little bit of a critical eye is how likable and charming Rosanna Arquette is in this. Yeah. Like, I don't want to overstate it, but it, it, it like it was, she was very reminiscent in this of like an Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn, am I? Yeah, Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn? Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn, that's her name. Okay, right, right. I was, I was right, I was mixing her up with Catherine. Um, but yeah, listen, Arquette's great in this. She's she's really sweet, really fun. The film looks good. It's 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 a fun one, man. You could do worse. Yeah, I think that was one that back. I remember being a kid and seeing that, and I remember thinking because that was one of the first times I realized what marketing can do. Because oh, yeah. I went to that film thinking Madonna. I didn't go to the film, but I saw it on cable thinking Madonna was the star, and Rosanna Arquette is really the star, and that gentleman that's in the movie. And it's really a, a sweet little kind of romantic film in some ways. It is. And, um, you know, here I am thinking I'm going to see a Madonna movie, but it's not really a Madonna movie. She's in it, obviously, but it's, you know, it's just, I, you know, I got caught up in the marketing. I got, I got, uh, what's, what's the word? I got vamoosed. I got, uh, bamboozled. bamboozled. I got, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got yeah. tricked, man. I got tricked, but. Uh, not in any bad way though, because, uh, I do enjoy that film. I think it's a, I think it's a good film. It's a good film of the eighties. Well, yeah, it is smart marketing. Cause Madonna's star yeah, was she was hot. huge. Yeah. She was huge. I mean, she was on her way to the moon at that point. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. So they're there. I don't think they're smart with how they use her in the film. Frankly, they use her and play to some of her strengths personality wise mm-hmm. without overexposing her as an actress. Mm-hmm. So very, very smartly done. Um, Next up was one, again, I think I've said this, the kids are kind of getting into, you know, sort of raunchier comedies and stuff. And um, so it was my wife's pick. And, you know, we try to pick stuff that the kids will be into as well. So sometimes the the hook is actors. And our older son adores Steve Carell and adores Ryan Gosling. So she pitched Crazy Stupid Love. None of us had seen it except for her. Mm. Um, We threw it on as a family. Yeah. And uh, I got to say, we enjoyed it. Um, it it had a a plot twist in hindsight. Maybe I should have seen coming. <laughs> uh, but the end is pretty funny. It's pretty pretty wacky. Uh, Gosling's having fun in his role. Carell's corralling it up. Uh, Emma Stone's charming. Uh, the always lovely Marissa Tomei. Uh, Julianne Moore. You get the Baconator in there. So fun cast. I mean, this is just. You know, this is nothing groundbreaking, uh, but I think it's it's a well-made uh, R-rated comedy. Yeah, um, that's not made for for sort of teenagers or the the college crowd necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we enjoyed it for what it was. Um, Shifty gears completely. Uh, I um, I was home last Saturday by myself. Um, yeah, just didn't want to get out and do much. So. I had the host myself decided I really want to watch some European stuff that um, I don't have to, you know, worry about, you know, pleasing anyone else with. So uh, Criterion Channel has this Euro Thrillers program right now. And I saw one with our guy, Alain Delon and Jean Moreau. It's called Mr. Klein. Oh, yeah. Joseph Losey's Mr. Klein at that. Yeah. 
I haven't so. seen it, but I'm aware of that film, yes. Oh, man. Listen, when we do a top 30 first-time watches, this will be in the top 10. Oh, nice. It's tremendous. The, the plot of it basically is um, some, and I read somewhere from someone whose opinion I trust, they consider it Delon's best performance of his career. Hmm. And you know what? I could see that. You know, it's definitely in the conversation. Um, he plays this uh, this dude. It's just pre World War II. Uh, he's in France, and with a lot of Jewish people being uh, fleeing the country or getting rounded up, he buys valuable like art from them at very discounted prices. Okay, exploitative. You know, sleazy businessman. Right. Uh, and then he gets a piece of mail in his mailbox from this Jewish community newspaper with his name on it as a subscription. Mm-hmm. So it sends him down this kind of Kafka-esque rabbit hole of, well, hang on, mistaken identity. This isn't me. Who subscribed to me to this? Hmm. That the walls kind of start closing on him and the paranoia and you know, identity, mistaken identity. Um, it's a really good one. Nice. Really good one, man. Really dug it. I'll put that on the uh, I'll put that on the watch list. Yeah, dude, it's good. I'd love to even talk about it with you because there's some some moments in it when I'm watching it. I was like, oh man, I got to talk about this with Sammy because it just it's just great cinema. Re- what a revelation! Like I didn't even know about this film to be honest with you. Right, right. So, no, I really dug it, man. Really dug it. Um, I kept the train going, and there was another film very different. I, I'd meant to see this one ages ago. I never got around to it. Uh, it's my Zetterling's Night Games. Uh, I, I feel like I've I've seen that film. So it's very um, Bergman-y. It's got a lot of Bergman regulars, including Ingrid Thulin. It's, yes, I've seen that film. I just looked it up. Yeah. I have seen that film. Yes, it's a good film. Uh, it deals with a young man, a man who's about to get married, returns to his 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 home. Uh, it brings back a lot of traumas from his childhood. He had a very domineering, complicated, um, emotionally and sexual identity from a sort of emotionally and sort of sexual identity and just trauma uh, as a child he's, he's bringing into, he's trying to exercise some demons in his life, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Good film. It was very controversial when it came out in 66. Sure. Yes. See that. <laughs> There's one scene that's pretty questionable by today's standards. But by and large, I applaud Zetterling for making this film. You know, I think about this film and I think about the two films we're covering in successive weeks here. This one and the one we're going to talk about next week. And it just feels like film has lost a lot of teeth. And I don't want to, I'm not, definitely not going to get in a soapbox here. Uh-huh. But that film is made in 66. You know, we're way removed from that. Yes. Fighting Back is 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, what I remember about seeing Night Games, I think one of the reasons why I watched it was I just remember how, and you know me, I'm always looking for transgressive things. Which it is, yeah. And, and, and yeah, for the time period, it was a transgressive film. And maybe maybe not as much now, but then again, maybe... I think so even more in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, nowadays these films are kind of coming back around and they're seen as transgressive again because everything's so kind of stayed right now and chased right yeah. now to protect it things, is. right? And 
and I get it. You know, uh, this art kind of comes and goes with its uh, with things like this. But yeah, I remember seeing this, and I remember thinking, "Wow, that was '66. That's interesting. <laughs> That's wild." Yeah, it's Zetterling, a female filmmaker. So, a female filmmaker having the the license to make a film like this at the time, get it out. Um, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting film. I, I don't think it necessarily sticks the landing on some of its stuff. I didn't love the movie. I remember that. I remember I liked it. I did not love it. Yeah. I mean, for me, like using our scale, probably about a seven and a half, maybe. I, I wanted to like it more than I did. Um, but some of it, it kind of gets gets kind of up its own ass a little bit. Yeah. On, so it gets a little, you know. You know, for the, the you know back in the seventies, uh, eighties, we we would have said it gets a little European uh, toward the. <laughs> Listen, there are scenes in this that if you were going to make a caricature of European art house, yeah, yeah. It, it would absolutely be night games at times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember that uh, vividly. I remember that. <laughs> I remember having that same emotion. <laughs> oh man, yeah, totally, totally. But you know that's how it goes. But that's that was my week, man. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, well, that, that's a good week. It's not a bad yeah. week at all. Uh, I watched a few things. Uh, checked out. Um, let's see, where do I go? Where do I start? Uh, a little film called Red Sun. This is on Arrow Channel. I had never. Now, this isn't Red Sun with Alain, Alain Delon and Toshiro Mifune and Charles Bronson. Um, that film is, you know, unique in its own right. Oh, yeah. uh, for reasons that you know can neither be, uh, well, I don't know. We never have covered it. I've I've often thought about it because you know with all those heavyweights together, it's uh it's an interesting conversation. Uh, the film itself kind of mixed on, but we'll, maybe we'll talk about it someday if it ever yeah. gets a like a really good proper release. Uh, but this one uh, this one's kind of a political film, uh, German. Um, Arrow's doing this thing where they're kind of bringing films to. They're starting to remind me a lot of uh, the the Arrow streaming channel. This is they're starting to. It's almost like you know we've talked about in the past how their physical releases remind us of Criterion. It's also that their streaming uh, network is starting to feel that way a lot as well. Yep, and they're bringing up things that uh, little underseen things or things you've always heard of and never seen and stuff like that and i had never seen this i didn't even know about it i didn't even know it existed and uh i was like well i'm just gonna fire this up and see what it is and it, it looked like a uh kind of swinging london type of thing uh but it's not it's a german film uh stars uh ushi obermeyer marquand Baum, or Baum, or marquard <laughs> what a name uh it just basically it's a Guy hitchhikes from Hamburg to Munich, runs into his ex-girlfriend. He ends up staying in some uh, uh, home with uh, a bunch of females. Uh, there's 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 some sexuality there. There's some flirting. There's some very late 60s kind of behavior. But there's also a lot of confusion and a lot of politics. So it's it's a... It's an art film. It's an acquired taste type of film. I wouldn't say it's for everybody. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. Um, similar to what we just said about night games, it certainly, <laughs> it certainly feels uh, very European. What's the film? I don't. Know, I don't think it's. It's with Clint Eastwood. I think. What's the one where he ends up in the house with all the women? Oh, that's uh, the beguiled, right? Beguiled. That's what it kind of sounds like to me, man. Yeah, yeah. 
which they remade, which I think Sofia Coppola remade, which I heard was good, but I never got around to uh, rewatching that. Maybe it wasn't Sofia Coppola. I feel like it was, but somebody remade The Beguiled because I think Colin Farrell's in the a newer Beguiled film, but I, I I haven't seen it. Right, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, this film is is interesting. If you're if you're into that era of movie making and stuff, and I had never seen it. It's got a great cover of uh, like Ushi Obermeyer just kind of standing there with a gun, kind of held between her legs, almost in a, a provocative kind of male pose. And uh, there's you know obviously some, some some male and female politics going on in the story, and uh, very European, very a lot of cigarette smoking going on in this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, switch gears, as we like to say, and watch Murder in the Front Row, the San Francisco Bay Area thrash metal story. Um, this was a, a, a kind of golden era for me and, and this kind of era of music. And a lot of this stuff did come out of the Bay Area um, that I liked quite a bit. Uh, obviously, the biggest band coming out of the Bay Area would probably would have been Metallica, who's still you know obviously going strong. Most of these bands still are in some regard, uh, even though the music has faded in and out over time. And, uh, yeah, this is really good. This is a good documentary. Uh, it really kind of gets into the beginnings of the movement. And, you know, this, 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 this is just the way music kind of, I don't know what, I don't know what the word is. I guess it evolves, mm-hmm. you know, musical change and you'll get, uh, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 hip hop artists that sound the same or metal bands or rock bands. And then it'll evolve again and you'll get another 10 or 20 that, you know, and then they just name these genres after them. When really it's just music evolving and, you know, the taste of the general public kind of changing. And uh, Thrash was kind of this answer to punk rock had kind of come and went. Um, and then Thrash was this kind of answer to metal wasn't heavy enough and it needed to get a little crazier and it kind of did. And I quite enjoyed it. It's pretty good. It's, uh, it's a good documentary. It's on uh, um, Freebie. Oh, uh, I was going to ask you where you saw it. Yeah, it's on Freebie. Uh, so you got to watch some commercials, but yeah, it's pretty good. And then, uh, let's see, what else did I watch? I watched, uh, untold hall of shame. Now this is the story of the Balco labs, which, uh, you know, controversial story, uh, involving, uh, po- potential, I want to say steroid use and, uh, stuff with professional athletes. Um, most notably, I would say baseball. Um, with Barry Bonds, uh, Alex Rodriguez, some other guys. Uh, I think Mark McGuire might have been involved a little bit in that one. I'm not sure about that. Um, and then, you know, it, it's ran by a guy who's not a doctor. He was actually the bass player for Tower of Power, and uh, which is always interesting. And uh, <laughs> But he was really interested in sports and, and interested in competition and stuff like that. So I don't know how you go from being a musician to being a guy who helps athletes achieve things. But he, he had found, he had found, uh, you know, some undetectable materials, um, that could be used some stuff that you could put under your tongue and some stuff that you could put on creams and stuff. And some of these, uh, like testosterone creams and things like that, they're not, you know, they give these to middle-aged men. Now I know I've been offered that actually as a middle-aged man, I've been offered the, this cream, but they've often told me that, if I get this cream, you know, to be careful around my young daughter because it's some pretty potent uh, testosterone. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just hold off. I really don't need the testosterone right now. I'll wait till she gets a little bit older, and that way I don't have to worry about any of that stuff rubbing off on her. <laughs> and 
it, this is pretty fascinating. It's obviously controversial subjects. I'm I'm obviously fascinated with the worlds of professional sports and college sports and stuff because, you know, I find those worlds those worlds incredibly twisted. Uh, I don't think I don't think they're very, you know, and, and I, I don't judge anybody. I know people love uh, sports and they love their sports to death, uh, but I find them, you know, they're I find them all to be a big you know, smokescreen. I found yep. it all to be a big bullshit uh, game. And, uh, you know, people have often, you know, asked me and stuff what I think about it and stuff. Here's, here, I'll just tell you flat out what I think. I think uh, athletes should, it's their body. I think they should use whatever the hell they want to use mm-hmm. and, and go for it because there was 200 and something players that used steroids, but only like three of them made any impact. So to me, yep. there's no, there's no real proof that steroids gives you an advantage. Uh, I think your talent has to be there still. Of course. So people often ask me about, well, you know, what do you think of Barry? Well, I think Barry Bonds is a is a pud. He's a he's a dork, and I can't stand him. He's a he's a terrible person. Same. But the guy could hit, and uh, yeah, giving him some juice gave him a little bit more power, no doubt. But nobody else did that, and they were on the same juice. <laughs> so I don't understand. Uh, you know. Now, some would say, you know, that's still not fair, and I get it. I get it. And Look, I'm not trying to, you know, start anything. I get it, but, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, you know, I, I just know that sometimes uh, sports does need a jolt, and obviously that home run era of baseball helped baseball quite a bit. And then, uh, you know, football players, of course, uh, steroids is rampant in the NFL. It's been rampant in the NFL almost from the get-go, and it still is. Yeah, people don't put on twenty and thirty. Yeah, twenty and thirty and forty pounds of muscle in one summer or one winter. You can't. You no. can't. Not 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 naturally. Not naturally, you can't. No. Uh, oh man, you can put on twenty or thirty pounds, but uh, it's not going to be muscle. <laughs> no, and it's you're going to feel like shit. But it's it's crazy to me. You know, I'm someone who who works out a lot. I'm pretty dedicated. I eat not. Perfectly. I love ice cream and pizza and Nutella and things, but yes. by and large, I you know, <laughs> like to eat fairly well. I like the, the, I didn't expect the Nutella drop. Nice. Well, you know what? We got a jar in the house a few days ago, or as, or as Italians say, Nutella. 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 So, so we get the Nutella going. And of course, you know, 11 o'clock a few nights ago, the four of us are jamming peanut butter and Nutella sandwiches down our throats. Pretty good, yeah. Pretty darn good. But Pretty good. Yep. I can tell you this. If people think you, and I will get off this because we're going to run long like we always do in our thing. Uh, if people think steroids are just some miracle drug that turn you into, um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're so wrong. You yep. have to work your ass off, even at that. And like you said, um, sports enhancing drugs are so prevalent in every sporting event, whether it's the Olympics whether it's professional sports, amateur sports, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Right. It is. You know, naive to think they're not. Like, it, sports are big business. Big business. A lot of money. The organizations, the teams, the players, sponsors. Yep. In a perfect world, maybe it would be equal footing and ethics, but sadly, it's far from that. Well, I mean, it's like anything, right? Once you find a way to exploit uh, you do it now. Look, I, I, I would not want anybody. I want to make sure I'm very clear about this. I wouldn't want anybody 
to go out and just start doing steroids because like oh, Will said, uh, yeah. So look at the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. We did uh pump and iron a long time ago and stuff. Look at those guys. Some of those guys did roids. Some of those guys didn't, but a lot of them did. Yep. And a lot of them did not become Arnold Schwarzenegger or Lou Ferrigno or right. uh, any, or Ronnie Coleman or these guys. A lot of them did not become those guys. They did the drugs anyway. So sometimes it's just a, a freak genetic thing or something. But some of those guys, those guys at the very top, I can tell you, I've watched a documentary on Ronnie Coleman. I've watched uh, Schwarzenegger documentaries. And for, these guys worked like this was their life. They had no time for anything else but lifting weight and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and perfecting their bodies. And the same thing with these guys that uh, used uh, steroids, play baseball and stuff like that. This was their life. They didn't. They didn't, they weren't going to do anything but this. And I'm not saying because I don't know for the record that it gives anybody an advantage, but I'm not saying it gives them a disadvantage either. Um, it's kind of it's just a really controversial subject. I think what I would be more concerned with is like anything, supplements and things like that getting into the hands of developing children. That could be a problem. But oh, yeah. that's the same as, you know, plowing kids with uh, soda and, and chocolate and everything else. Uh, you know, you, that that's up to the parents themselves. But obviously, if you're developing and you're kind of messing around with genomes and and genetics and all these kinds of things, that, that, that's controversial. No doubt about it. That, that, that gets into a weird world. And that's that's that can be disturbing. That That's not really addressed here. It's not addressed if kids ever use the, these things or anything. They're all adults. And... Um, you know, these guys might have health problems later in their life. These are all experimental things. We should say that too. That none of this stuff is tested by the FDA or anything. It was just like, well, it seems to work. So, you know, wow. it's pretty scary. So, I mean, you know, but you know, who knows what happens, but it's, it's a, it's a fascinating subject because like you said, it's such an American story. It's such an American story about success mm-hmm. and the importance we as a culture put on success. It, 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 that's the thing that blows my mind still to this day. And, and, and a certain rigid view of what success is and means. Yes. Yes. It's, it's pretty, that's fascinating. That's the fascinating part about it. And that's where the humanity comes in. That's where it's like, why it, 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 it seems really, really prevalent. I, I can't speak for other countries, but I can speak for North America because I live in North America Especially the United States. I can't really speak for Canada in some ways, but I can well, speak for North better. America. Yeah, it's it's do or die. It's mm-hmm. all in or nothing, and uh, it's it's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. This culture we've created around that, you know, it's pretty scary. It really is. Um, <clears throat> I don't have anything else. You got anything? I just want to say I, I I would never take steroids. Just for the record, <laughs> the costs associated with it, you know. Yeah, there's just risk, right? I mean, it's, it's just it's, it's just risk versus reward. I want to live as long as I can, and I'm willing to sacrifice. Yeah. Maybe looking a little more like a he-man if it means I get one more year, right. one more month yeah. with my with my loved ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I um. I understand. I understand. I really do. I mean, but but I, I do understand the other side. Millions are on the table. I, again, I don't begrudge people for making decisions. I, I just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't either because again, I don't see that. You know, folks can say what they want to say, but I, you know, I don't see. Yes, some of the guys are in the top ten in home runs and top twenty in home runs use steroids. 
And then you got the other side of the coin, which is like the Babe Ruth and stuff who just had maybe a natural talent, you know, but obviously he didn't, he was not a, he was not a guy that was working out everywhere. I mean, he didn't work out at all. And then, um, you know, you can make that argument and stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's right either. I mean, there's, there's so many kind of little stories to be told there and within that kind of realm. And that's kind of the fascinating thing as I've gotten older about sporting and sports events and the the idea of it is you know it's it's become so much about the business and don't get me wrong i still watch baseball i still watch football sometimes i still watch college football i still watch all these things because i enjoy the competition aspect of it and i like the strategy of sports uh because i'm fascinated by that but it is amazing what you know i just talked about this with the johnny football uh documentary that i watched here's a guy who uh, flash in the pan, one great freshman year, one average sophomore year, but the media got a hold of him. Everything went crazy. He had just enough charm, just enough uh, arrogance to become popular. He drafted, obviously, he failed, um, but it didn't matter because it generated almost a billion dollars in revenue for Texas A and M. Oh yeah, and it's sitting, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, so it doesn't matter if the the the, the kid is any good. It doesn't matter if he succeeds. What matters is you strap, as they say in the wrestling business, you strap a rocket to his ass and let him go fly into the moon. You exploit what you got. So, you know, you, you take 20-something games in college football and you make a billion dollars off of it. And you're not supposed to be make technically, you're not supposed to be making money off college athletes. <laughs> but well, we do in this in this country. So it, it's it's pretty fascinating. So, yeah, it gets into some really, uh, you know, really gray areas. Very quickly, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> uh, okay, I think that's everything for what we've been watching this week. Um, and that reminds me, I noticed when I watched the Johnny Football documentary, he had a, a nice timepiece on. Looked like it might have been a Samsung watch, maybe not an Apple watch. I know that might be faux pas for some people. But it was a pretty nice one. Uh, I recognized that uh, on his digital readout, it had a... It had uh, you know four or five words on there. You want to know what you know, want to know what it said? I am dying to know what those words were. <laughs> it's time for this or that. <laughs> All right. As I ham-handedly get through the the intro to this or that. Uh, here we are again with another week and I'm assuming you have some, I don't know if I have any, I usually try to relate them to the film. Yep. I'm trying to think if I got any this week, but, uh, well, you know, I, I don't, I have one, but it kind of gets into the review of the film. So I'm not going to discuss that one. Oh, I got some, you know, I got, I got one, I got one, I got you one. Go. It's, uh, 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 this is a, this is just an odd one. And I think I know where you'll land. But they remind me of each other somehow. And okay. I'm just kind of curious where you land on this. But Michael Sarazen or Peter Fonda? Hmm. <laughs> a, yeah, little, are- a little bit more difficult than you would think. Yeah. I, uh, full disclosure, I, I've seen and enjoyed more Fonda jams. Sure. Probably so, a bigger star. Yeah, I would say so. I mean... 
I'm going to go with Fonda, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I've only seen off the top of my head. I mean, maybe I've seen more, but maybe a handful of Sarah's and joints. So I'm going to go Fonda, but they are very similar. I just think it came down to Fonda was a little cockier. So his star shined a little brighter, maybe. I don't know, because I don't think he's necessarily in a in a different league than Sarah's in. Yeah. Yeah, so they they were so watching this movie. I was reminded. I was thinking to myself, as I often do when I watch these films we review, who would be in these movies today? You know, who's the actors yeah, yeah. that would be in these movies today, or who's the actors that could have done this film and stuff like that? And then I'm just sitting here watching, and I'm like, wow, this Michael Sarazen role totally feels like a Peter Fonda type role <laughs> in so in funny. the '80s when Fonda was kind of fading. You know, because he was very big in the late '60s and and '70s, but. Oh yeah, part of the counterculture, right? Yeah, that that would probably be the thing that puts him over the top for me too. Is that you got to remember, and folks who listen to this show clearly probably do. Uh, Fonda was, you know, complete. Uh, you know, he was right in the middle of the shift in American film. Yeah, and uh, a huge yeah. part of that. So that would probably put him over the top. But uh, yeah, I've always been a fan of Michael Sarah's, and he's got a kind of odd, not. I wouldn't Not say quite leading man, but yeah, you yeah. can't kind of take your eyes off him. He's got a certain earnest charm. Yeah, he's got a, a you know, yeah. He, there's just something about him, and his face is just a little kind of, it's just a little interesting, a little off kilter. And uh, yeah, I just think you know, and I was reminded of how good he can be uh, in his kind of small performance in this. So there we go. That, that's the one I got. The other one was um, this movie versus another movie. But if I say, but if I say it and you pick it, it kind of gives away some things in this movie. So. I don't want to. Do, I don't fair. want to do that. Yeah. Um, mine is going to be. I wonder where you sit on this. French New Wave or Italian neorealism? Ooh. Ooh, I thought she was going to. If you was going to go Italian ripoff, that would be easy. <laughs> because obviously, immediately, I'll say <laughs> Italian ripoff. <laughs> because as we know, I love that era. But. Um, ugh. Um, man, this is, this is, uh, this is interesting. Both of these I love. And then sometimes both of these I loathe. So, yeah. And try not to just think of like, yeah, good with the new wave. Cause there's so many other cool. And I know you well, didn't. I, no, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to, you just, know, I'm just, yeah. I'm, you know how my brain works. I'm right, right now I'm running through. Titles and directors. Yeah, all the neorealist uh, filmmakers I know in Italy and all, you know, off the top of my head and all of the French New Wave directors that I know off the top of my head. Um, I'm trying to think in a cumulative way which one I would take over the other. You know, this kind of goes against some of the things. This is a tough one. Uh, I think Oh, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go Italian neorealist. I, I thought you might, if I had a gun to my head, I thought that's the way you would go. But man, it's, it's a slim, it's a slim margin. It's super slim because I'm sitting there thinking about Truffaut and, and all these filmmakers oh, and yeah. the French new wave, I think has much more, not that neorealism doesn't have influence on modern cinema, but the French new wave certainly had a ton of influence on the decade of American film we love so much. So yeah, 
it's really hard to kind of put that behind Italian neorealism, but I think of where my taste lies right now. And also, just I'll be forthright, I haven't seen as many Italian neorealism films as I've seen uh, French New Wave films. Right. So I, I think I, that's that's more of an adventure area for me. So I think I find that more interesting right now. Very cool, man. So this is a hard one because I think like the French New Wave, like you said, it's so important to film and deconstructing film and repurposing um, genres and tropes from, from different countries, specifically American films, or deconstructing things and repackaging them in a really fascinating way. But I'm also going to go with Italian neorealism because I think that to open the door to humanity in a way that not a lot of other countries were doing, especially post-war, I think it adds a profound, humane, like an emotional response. Um, I, I guess I would say, like, I would date French New Wave and marry Italian neorealism because I'd like <laughs> to have time with both at some point in my life. But, um, I, you know, I just I, I find myself thinking about a film like Rome Open City quite a bit. And, and just films like that where there's – or uh, Mamma Roma or certain Italian films that – They've stuck with me emotionally, right? The, the, the human spirit of them. Whereas I really love and admire the French New Wave stuff. But I think, yeah, it's, it's date or um, sleep with <laughs> New Wave and marry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neoism. Yeah, not to get too crass. And then. Uh, yeah, I almost said the F word. Yeah, there's a. There's I did a not. Well, there's. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a. Uh, yeah, there's that part of that in there too, which that the the F word, that one would probably be Italian ripoffs. <laughs> yeah, oh, you better believe so if it yeah, you better believe it would be. That's getting the F word all day. Yeah. Because that's just <laughs> for me, that genre is just pure lust. Like it's like, you know, I gotta I gotta have that in my life. Yep. Sweaty. <laughs> yeah. Nasty. Yeah, folks often ask me about that. I'm like, that's just that that is the era of film. I have to have that in my life. Do I know it's lesser than? Hell yeah, I do. I don't care. I have to have it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I feel like Mercy in the Warriors begging Swan. That's me for Italian <laughs> yeah. ripoff. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't have any more. I don't know how many more you got. I got a few. We'll do maybe two or three more. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Crush Groove or Body Rock? Well, you would. I, I have a fondness for Body Rock. Obviously, we, uh, we uh, Lorenzo Lamas introduces us on the show every week. And uh, if you guys don't know where the roast beef line is from, it's from Body Rock. And uh, it's one of my favorite moments in our recording of the show, too, when yes. uh, Will was reviewing it. And he's like, you know, he takes time to say, you might want this roast beef. And it was just a great moment in the movie. Uh, not a uh, not a uh, Kubrickian moment or anything like that. It's just purely one of those moments where it's almost like a non sequitur. And you're like, did he really just ask if anybody wanted that roast beef? <laughs> yeah, it's so random. Man. Yeah, it is. And um, But Crush Groove is more pivotal to the culture at that time. Um, I like Crush Groove. I don't think it's a... Well, I haven't seen it in a long time. Let me let me let me say that. I, I, I know you watched it recently. I'd have to yeah. go back and revisit it. Um, but uh, I do like the film. Um, uh, but I do think it's a bit sloppy too. I remember it being very kind of sloppy. 
But yeah. I think it's more important culturally than uh, body rock. Body rock is, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of a derivative or a almost Italian ripoff version of Breakin or something yes. like that, right? So it works out of my mouth. It, that's exactly what it is. It's a cash in yeah. and knockoff, but it's fun it's for what it is. But it's not. Yes. It's not. Cult, I don't think it's. Well, I mean, for some people, it might be culturally relevant, but relevant, <laughs> but it's 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 more of a just a, a goof and a, a fun goof, but a goof nonetheless. I'm with you 100%. I'm Crush Groove. I rewatched it. I was so charmed with it. I do feel it is a bit clunky in spots, but I think that it's almost like, um, and I'd said this, it, it almost feels like those early Beatles films like Help or uh, yeah, Hard Day's yeah, yeah. Night. It's, it's self-aware. It's It kind of deconstructs things, um, breaks the fourth wall. And to see all these acts, and like you said, just it's so important culturally, so I definitely got to go Crush Groove. Okay. Um, I'm going to hit you with one more. Okay. Mayo or barbecue sauce? Oh, so this actually mayonnaise actually came up in my life this weekend. (laughs) Oh, do tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mayonnaise is one of those things, right? It's one of those things where you can never really have enough, but you have to watch it because, you know, it's, well, it's just really high in calories, it, it, and uh, you know, it. I like it on most things, especially your drier um, uh, meats, uh, chicken and turkey and things like that. Mayonnaise really gives it a little a pow, a pow. You know what I mean? I'm sure you know 100%. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, as much as I like turkey and chicken, um, it's not like. Uh, some of the other meats, not like salami or pastrami or something where I don't even need a sauce, really, because it's got so much flavor. Yep. Uh, chicken and turkey, that has flavor, but it's a little bit more bland. So sometimes a little mustard or a little mayo or, you know, something mayo-based just gives it that little extra oomph you need. I'm going to go. I mean, I'm going mayo. I'm going to tell you that right now. And the main reason being is that mayo is just like a pure uh, condiment, whereas barbecue sauce can kind of get... I love barbecue sauce, but there's so many different versions of barbecue sauce. And that's another reason maybe to pick it, but straight up barbecue sauce, even straight up barbecue sauce can taste different depending on where you're at. Oh, and who made it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is the bottled kind that you can buy at the store, and so it's mostly going to always taste the same. But uh, barbecue sauce is something that people can, It's well, it's like Italian ripoffs again. You can make derivatives of it and change it yeah. a little bit, put a little bit more paprika in it, a little bit more maybe jalapeno or whatever you want to do. Whereas mayonnaise is mayonnaise. There is flavored mayonnaise and things like that, but mayonnaise is mayonnaise. Let's, get, let's, let's just call it, you know, call it what it is. Mayonnaise is mayonnaise. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoy mayonnaise. It's really good on, uh, so why it came up is somebody asked me what I liked on egg sandwiches. And, uh, I was like, well, I like, I like mayo and tomato and, uh, and a, a nice egg and I'm, I'm happy. I'm a happy man. Every now and then I'll throw a little cheese on there if I'm in the mood, but, uh, really just the mayo, the tomato and the egg and I'm good to go. Good to go. <laughs> so I'm going mayo, mayo all day. Sorry. I have a barking dog. She, she needs was, some mayo yeah, gullet, she, I think. yeah, she needs uh she wants some mayonnaise. So I am also going to go mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. I think all the reasons you said are, are correct or, you know, I, I agree with, I wouldn't say correct because it's, it's opinion, not fact, but, um, I'm with you hundred percent. And I just think 
mayo I can use and do use day to day more. I use it to make egg salad, use it on a BLT. Oh yeah. Sandwiches, just a little more diverse. Yeah, don't even that. yeah, don't even get into the chicken salads, egg salads. Oh yeah. You know, tuna tuna salad. salad. I mean, don't even get into all I mean you get into all that, and now you're talking about a whole other level of importance. Well, that's just it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um I I will say this because you mentioned egg, and I'll just take 30 seconds to do this. Oh, here we go. Here's a little pro tip. So <laughs> I saw this on Instagram. I tried it. It's been field tested multiple times in my house. It's very good. <laughs> get some feta cheese or get, you know, like a cheese you like. Put it down in the frying pan after you've lightly oiled it. Get that nice little crispy cheese in the middle of the pan. Mm-hmm. Get your egg out now. Put your egg on it now. Mm, okay, okay. okay. Toast your toast with the eggs cooking, little guacamole, take the egg off, egg, cheese, guacamole on toast, divine. Nice. Nice. That crispy cheese, man, next level. Nice. I don't know. Sadie, Sadie's like, uh, she, I don't know if she likes it or not. She's growling about it. So. I think she might be sore about the barbecue sauce thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little sore about it. She's like, hey, we need to go back. We need to talk turkey legs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we need to discuss. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, that's a good tip. That's a good tip. And uh, making me hungry because I'm hungry this morning. And uh, yeah, that makes me want a, a, a grilled sandwich like right now. Same. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's uh, this or that for this week. Uh, we are going to take a short break, uh, come back and discuss uh, Fighting Back from 1982. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> You're nobody till somebody loves you You're nobody till somebody cares You may be king, you may possess the world's and its gold But gold won't bring you happiness when you're growing old Still is the same, you never change it As sure as the stars shine above You're nobody till somebody loves you So find yourself somebody to love The velvety tones of Mr. Dean Martin this morning. How's that? <laughs> that was smooth. Smooth, man. Smooth. Little Dino to get our morning going here. Um, all right. Fighting Back, 1982. This film's interesting. Uh, it, it's always had trouble getting like proper releases and stuff. So it's it's out now uh, on Arrow, and that's who sponsored us this week. And they put out a Blu-ray of it. Uh, and, uh, I don't, I think I know why, uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that maybe here a little bit. Um, let's kind of, I'll get the plot synopsis going here. A hard crime story about a Philadelphia shop owner who has had enough of the criminals. <laughs> the synopsis on IMDb says violences and ravages. Uh, he organizes a patrol of civil people. I don't know who wrote this, but clearly not somebody from America. 
So uh, yeah, that's a fair <laughs> statement. I think <laughs> this all, uh, I'll, I'll read the tagline too. enough is enough. Thieves, pimps, prostitutes, muggers, and drug dealers. Beware. John D'Angelo is out to make his neighborhood safe. He's declaring his own personal war on crime and he doesn't want your kind around here anymore. Uh, so we'll get into all of that. Um, well, you got something, Will? Well, I would just think it's important to point out that great line reading, great, great tagline reading, but you have to go, enough is enough. Yeah. Enough is enough. That is like bolded. The font size is about three times the size. I might've just woken up my wife. If I get dragged out of the room in a minute, you know why she's going to say enough is enough. So this is directed by Louis Teague stars one, Tom Skerritt, Patty Lapone, Michael Sarazen, Yafet Kato back on the show. Uh, Frank Zavero. If you don't know who that is, you do. If you've ever seen it. Yeah. Frank Zavero has got one of the most unique heads of hair in, uh, in cinema history. I'm going to say. And also one of the most unfortunate heads of hair. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, you know, I can't tell if it's hair or AstroTurf. Oh man. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, got some, uh, some seventies and eighties kind of heavyweights and, uh, Again, directed by Lewis Teague. Now, we haven't done a Lewis Teague film since Alligator, way back in episode three. And this was before Alligator. Well, no, is this after Alligator? I think this is after Alligator, right? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, 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 because Alligator was 1980. Yeah, so he had a a little run of films, um, some more uh, probably successful than others. But I've always enjoyed his work. Uh, he did Cujo after this, which I know you recently rewatched and it was a little too much for you, uh, in some aspects. Um, you know, he did Jewel of the Nile, which was the Romancing the Stone sequel, which I think is a pretty good sequel. Cat's Eye, another Stephen King thing. Collision Course, the Pat Morita, notorious Pat Morita, Jay Leno film, which, uh, yeah, I've only ever seen bits and pieces of Wedlock, the Rugger Hauer, Mimi Rogers film, which is pretty good. And, um, that's about it. Mostly TV after that. But, you know, he had a little run, um, and, you know, he, I, I I enjoyed his work for what it was. So it's kind of fun to get him back on the show as well. I don't know if you'd seen this before. I feel like we've been talking about this film yeah. forever. It's kind of kind of been in the background for a long time. And uh, I'm curious what you thought about this, especially this film was an interesting experience. I just want to say this for the record before we even get started. Watching this film in today's environment was slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and I'll say this, I think to the credit of De Laurentiis and <laughs> principles, I think even then they were cognizant of that and at least made attempts to be even-handed and not... And to not just be outwardly um, the appearance of being extremely racist and ugly in their portrayals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there is some. It's there. It's there. Yeah, mileage will vary as to how effective they think that is. But I'll say this: it's it's an exploitation film. Um, Yeah. I, I like to think, especially through modern eyes. You know, I'm pretty. Um, pretty, 
I'm not a fucking racist dirtbag, for lack of a better term. So, uh, you know, things like this, I could think, ooh, this hasn't aged well, but I at least see attempts here to um, offset what could be perceived as a very uh, minefield, a cultural minefield. I think what's interesting about the film is that, again, because of the modern era, because of what we're going through right now, yeah, more so than 82, although it was there in 82, but it just it's more prevalent now in our society. I think this movie has the ability to really come off as quite rash and one note. And uh, I think in some ways it is. I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's not, but it is, as you say, an exploitation film yep. in a lot of ways that's kind of playing on the vigilante genre and vengeance and things like that. So those genres always kind of go down to brass tacks and the most basic of basic storytelling elements. So nothing new there. I think the thing that kind of throws this movie into a kind of a different feel is some of the stuff that's happened into the, in the news recently with people taking up arms when things, I was reminded of the, I can't remember his name, but I was reminded of the kid that, uh, you know, showed up in Wisconsin or whatever, uh, to defend uh, the town from riots and stuff and ended up getting arrested after killing some people and things like that. And I remember thinking, hmm, that's uh, that's bizarre. I remember watching movies where that happened, and now here we are. And then now going back and watching this, it's just one of those moments, this is one of those things where watching this, the cultural relevance of, thing, uh, of things that I don't care for happening affect the film instead of vice versa. So it was a kind of a... It was kind of an interesting rewatch for me. Um, and then the fact that you throw in politics, that really murkies the waters quite a bit. You know what I'm saying? So, Big time. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I, I didn't expect us – well, I'm going to let you take off on the review here. But I just want to say I didn't expect this movie to be nearly as profound or maybe um, hot button in a way as it could be if we decide to discuss certain things. Yeah, I think you're thinking of that little shit, Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, Rittenhouse, that's him. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny, you know, I was thinking about that because the two films we picked back-to-back weeks, one's, you know, 50-plus years old, one's 40-plus years old, and both of them are very political in some ways. Yes. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) They're very interesting because... I don't think either one of us sets out to, I know, not I think, I know neither one of us sets out to provoke or be hot button or to be no. controversial. No. We just want to talk about films we like or we think would would reap sort of the benefits of having interesting conversation about. And mm-hmm. we've done a lot of um, vigilante style films on the show before. We've done the Walking Tall films. We've done Vigilante. We've done Death, the Death with Trilogy. We did what, the trilogy, I think? Yeah, we did the first three films. We'd never done four and five, but we did uh, one, two, and three. Yeah. So, I mean, vigilante films. We've done a ton of Italian films that would also fall into that that realm, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, this film, it's funny, ironically, as much as we're giving maybe more thought to it than we did with other ones, um, this, I think, in some ways at least tries to be a little more even-handed about things than some of them do? Uh, I, th- I think so. I think so. I mean, obviously, this is not Death Wish 3. 
that's a you know as we've joked about in the yeah. past that's a, that's a video game in a lot of ways uh death wish 2 is a very sleazy kind of sequel to death wish death wish is obviously asking some questions some of these films do vigilantes kind of an interesting film which we talked about i believe yeah and uh, that kind of gets into the same realm as a matter of fact that's probably the film this is the most like william lustig's uh, vigilante which is also an exploitation film and, and asks some tough questions it know. does and i think there's more of a see it's funny this has a lot of different balls in the air as a film mm-hmm. you know um where our lead characters taken whereas i think death wish is is more of uh, an introspective look at at one man and and, yes. and how he responds to things right Interestingly, De Laurentiis was involved in both. By this point, De Laurentiis had sold the rights of the Death Wish property to Canon, so I think he wanted to strike lightning in a bottle again. Mm-hmm. And takes a little bit of a different approach. Um, oddly enough, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I know both of us dig him, but is this our first Scarret Jam on the show? Uh, I, I, I'm, I think he's been on the show before, but I don't think, uh, I don't think in a lead role capacity. Yeah. I wouldn't bet my life against him, I guess, being on, but definitely not a sort of leading role. Yeah. I'd have to look and see, but, uh, I'm going to kind of, yeah, I'm going to kind of fly through his filmography here while we're talking, but I mean, you know, obviously he's a, he's a huge part of our generation because, you know, he's in arguably one of the most influential films ever made. So. Him and Kodo, for that matter, they're reteaming after. Oh yeah, so. yeah, that's true. Kodo, Kodo as well. Now Kodo's been on the show a few times, and oh yeah, I don't even know if uh, I'm, I'm sure Michael Sarazen's been on the show again. Yep. and something. Oh, yes, you know where he was, or was he? They shoot horses. Oh, don't they? Don't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I'm looking through here, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll keep looking, but so far, I haven't. It's kind of funny that Tom uh, Scared hasn't really been on the show because he's in some very well, I think maybe somebody interview somebody, maybe one of us, or maybe well, no, it was I think it was some guest uh, did the Poltergeist films or something. I, f- I feel like somebody did the Poltergeist trilogy on our show or something. Maybe I can't remember. I feel like Poltergeist three may have been approached at some point. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Don't they? Don't Didn't they? Didn't they? <laughs> Didn't they? I don't know. Did they? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny that he's on this uh, this episode. And how it kind of led me down a, a weirdly related wormhole um, because my next pick is actually going to have him in it as well. The next film I'm going to pick. I'm here is, for all the Scarrett. Which is, messed, which is messed up. I totally forgot he was in the next film I'm picking. And I'm like, <clears throat> you sometimes wonder how you end up picking films. And I think sometimes you see a film and, and it jogs the memory of other films. Right. No, of course. I am here, though, for... Um for all the Scarrett. Much different performance in the next film I'm picking. So, so okay. we'll get to that next cool, week. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so, just a few quick kind of snapshot observations here. And I'm sure you're with me on this. I have a kind of a crush on Patti LuPone in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I like her as an actress, but I'll say this. I don't think this is her finest hour. Uh, no, no. She's very broad here. She's really broad. She's really over the top. Uh, frankly, frankly, I love you, Patty. I loved you in Bo is Afraid. <laughs> You're great on Broadway. This is not your finest hour. <laughs> she's the worst. 
She's the weak link in the film from an acting perspective. Yeah, she. I think she starts out okay. Uh, well, no, no, I'm, I'm going to take think, that back. Oh, she starts out terribly. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take that back. I had to think about it for a second. Well, I mean, the first scene she's in, uh, the first couple scenes with the family stuff, she's okay. Yeah. But immediately, I mean, I'm not going to say people aren't right to say something to somebody who's beating a street walker on the side of the street. But if your kids are in the car and you're pregnant, you might want to slow down a little bit. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, I should say, I think I might actually be Patty Luponi because she's Italian. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a risk that, you know, call, call someone maybe that you. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have cell phones back then, but, you know, maybe just honk the horn. Get maybe. around, the, yeah, get or yeah, or get around the corner, hit the pay phone. You know, she stays in the car, scare it, gets out. I mean, I like where her heart's at. Don't get me wrong. Me. She's, me she's not in the wrong spot, but you have to think about other people and what that leads to is an insane moment i mean this movie what i remember watching as a kid when i would watch this film i remember thinking wow this thing really gets started quick because <laughs> and man watching it again i had forgotten how quick with a critical eye how quick it does get started i mean it, it's like hey family somebody's moving away and it's very much a western type thing you know, you got one store owner going away, another person taking over a store, potentially, or something. I guess that's what happens. And and then all of a sudden, you're into the action. And it's like, wow, that, that really didn't take any time. And, you know, guns pop out pretty quickly. I, I don't know. I, I was kind of surprised by all that. I kind of thought it started out a little slower than this. But, yeah, man, this movie really gets going quick. And you're right. She is. She's incredibly broad in the film. <sighs> I don't know how much of that is them just her being written in a thankless way or not, but yeah, just her performance sticks out because Scarrett's always been a bit, uh, although not in this film, but Scarrett's always been a bit of an understated yes. kind of quiet, rugged guy. But in this, I mean, he's, he's playing he's, a full Italian. He's, he's, yeah. doing, he's playing stereotypes here a little bit. He's very much, it's, it's like a sort of cokey Italian rage in this. <laughs> He does the thing where he puts his hands together and shakes them. Man, he does he, that a lot. He does that a lot. Like, oh, hey. He's, yeah, he's he's dropping the hand signals all day, which is great. And and listen, you know what I like, too, about this is it's a Philadelphia setting. It's not New York. It's not L.A. Yeah, it's cold, too. I mean, it's clearly cold. Yeah. It's cold. It feels like they shot it, I guess. Like, it's weird because there are some, and again, who cares, but some kind of continuity stuff where – it's not snow like it's maybe late fall or, mm -hmm. or late late winter then it's really snowy then it's not kind of bounces around a little bit who cares but it feels authentic it feels philadelphia it or like a, a city that's not new york or la um and i like that the careers have create this uh it, it just this this neighborhood feels real right in a lot of ways Right. So right. Right. It's good. Um, it smells. If it, it smells, it feels. It smells and feels like a very small little Italian part of a community. It know? does. It, it, you do get a sense of community in this, which I have to think um, De Laurentiis' involvement plays into that because yeah. I've seen a lot of kind of lazy, and I've said this on the air, and you know this. I feel, but there's a lot of lazy. Italian caricatures in films and this feels at least they get kind of the family feel right the community feel right um 
for sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one observation I have, not to spoil things, is the film admirably um, keeps a lot of different balls in the air to the point where this could this could almost be like a like an HBO series, like I just like not the wire necessarily, but the way it looks at different aspects of the ripple effects that the D'Angelo characters' actions have on right. police, news, society at large, his family life. They're keeping a lot of stuff in the air. But one thing I wish this film had more of, uh, with all due respect to Sarazin, is more Kodo. Well, if Yafet Kato as a dance choreographer was on your bingo card this week. Well. You're yeah. you're you're in luck. You've just hit bingo. <laughs> because yeah, uh that, yeah. This is uh you know, when I think dance choreography, I don't think Yafet Kato immediately. No. Maybe maybe I should, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I never thought we'd get to see him in the Leotards, but <laughs> Christmas did come early today. <laughs> he's um, sweaty and uh he's quite angry. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, not to spoil anything, that's a fantastic scene. So that, some of the best scenes in this movie are the Yafet Kato scenes. 100%. Listen, he's a, he's a he's an incredible actor. He is. Respectfully to Scarrett, I think he is the best actor in the film, if you look at their body. Well, no, Scarrett's pretty great, but Kato is a great actor. Well, I think all three leads, male leads, are really good. Michael Sarazen is good as the kind of the level-headed. Dated, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tom Scarrett's good as this kind of volatile... Uh, over Italian, uh, wannabe kind of, you know, and Yafekato's kind of great as this angry, militant, yet respectfully uh, trying to help his community, almost like a guardian angel type thing compared to what Tom Sk- So there's a whole element here of Yafekato's character, Ivanhoe Washington, which is a great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ivanhoe Washington has this kind of people's protection group and kind of does this kind of vigilante thing too, but he's trying to improve his community. Whereas he, and I think this is where the film can get into some murky water. And I think it, I think it, I think it recaptures its essence toward the back end. Yes. But toward the middle and stuff, I'm sitting here watching at the beginning in the middle, I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is such a right wing movie and it is incredibly uncomfortable to watch. Yep. And now we're mixing politics with it and everything. But then they bring the Yafet Kato character in there. And you start to understand Tom Scarrett wants to be like Ivanhoe Washington. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, his character kind of sees certain. It, it, it's never really f- completely said, but there is a great scene where Yafet Kato brings kids of minorities. It's my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, same. Into the warehouse, and Tom Skerritt, his mother has been attacked. She had her finger. It's a gruesome scene. That's she, a fucking brutal scene, by the dude, way. Yeah, that is that belongs in a Charles oh Bronson movie. God, <laughs> there's a few things in this yeah, that are just insane. I know, I know. I remember watching it as a kid, thinking, you know, if Charles Bronson would have been in this movie, this, this stuff wouldn't have happened. Tom Skerritt's in this movie. He's he's dropping the ball. But if Bronson would have been here, he would have just been blowing people's heads off. It's nuts. But. There, he, there's a scene where, and this is not a spoiler, so that's why I'm bringing it up now. And it's it's later in the game in the movie. I'd, I'd say it's uh, two thirds of the way through the film at least. That he brings these two kids around. He says these are the kids that attacked your mother, and they're different minorities. But 
Scarrett goes for the African-American kid. Mm-hmm. And Kato is like, of course you did. And it's a very powerful moment in the movie. It's a moment when Scarrett realizes he may have a problem. Yeah, and this is where I – and some people are going to call it ham-handed and clumsy and tone-deaf and everything else. But I do think that – and again – you know, full disclosure, and I, I don't, I'm not saying this to say politically, but I'm saying it to look at the film critically through my eyes as someone who's very left leaning. I do think that um, they try to address the elephant in the room here, and they try, and Kodo's character feels like he's, he's Scarrett five years on with a bit of a different worldview because of his skin color. He's looking at things yeah. a little more clear eyed about the institution and the bureaucracy and society's failings at large. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, Ivanhoe Washington is probably more experienced in this world as almost a local force in his neighborhood. So he's probably been through the ugliness of it and has now realized that, you know, it, it's a deeper problem than just race or thing. It's probably more poverty related, which is what we all kind of realize when we kind of step back, it's not that it's the minorities that are the problem. It's the lack of opportunity. Yeah. And lack of quality of life and, and things like that. And you know, that's what, and it just so happens a lot of times that minorities fall into that. That's the way it was when America got started, you know, with the Irish and, you know, there, there's always been minorities in America and there always will be. So, um, unfortunately minorities kind of always get the short end of the stick to start out. And they kind of got to work their way out of that because that's the way this country is designed. So a lot of times poverty equals crime, unfortunately, sometimes equals minority neighborhoods. So it's kind of a shame, but it's kind of the way the social structure in this country has always been. But you do feel like Yafet Kato is always like he, he's been through that. And Tom Skerritt is like realizing this as he's going on. But I got to tell you, for the first two thirds of the movie, I'm sitting there thinking, man, Tom Skerritt is he is like. I mean, I'm waiting for him to say build a wall. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I said, I feel like <clears throat> I don't know if it was written this way or I just I'm glad that they address some things despite the mileage maybe varying mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Viewer, with the viewer. But it's a I'm, it's a confrontational film. It's it's it is a confrontational film and it's a film that. I think does speak to a lot of frustrations and anxieties that, that people feel. And again, look to the root of things, you know, before you're being reactionary mm-hmm. or knee jerk. Right. 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 And, and you see that evolution with the D'Angelo character. Right. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's fun to just get into a rompy death wish three other times like this, this does walk a tightrope um, between being this, gritty, nasty, vigilante film, which also, well, also looking at, um, sociopolitical stuff, which again, okay, it's not designed to just be that. So right. I'm going to give it a bit of a pass for at least trying to keep those balls in the air. Right. Um, we get a, so our, one of our lead antagonists in the film, the heavy, he's got bullhorns on a caddy. <laughs> <clears throat> he's got to know though. That if you're going to put bullhorns on a caddy, you got to go boss hog or don't bother. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Man. It's either boss hog or um, I feel like there was a Terrence Hill Bud Spencer film we did where they had yeah. bullhorns on a 
the caddy. <laughs> but you can't go slight on the bullhorns. And didn't and didn't uh, didn't Little Enos and Big Enos and the Smoking and the Band of Films didn't they have bullhorns on their caddy too? Right, I think <laughs> I think they did. I'm almost certain they did. But you got to go big, man. Come on. Yeah, the bullhorns on the caddy is that's uh, an interesting uh, moment in pop culture history. <laughs> It is. It's one that's garish. Uh, never mind the sort of cruelty thing, but it's just so garish. But um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But we talked about this film being cruel, and it it does have some, even by today's standards, all the stuff we've seen, some really shocking moments of violence and cruelty. Um, to like Italian, like Franco Nero, you know. Uh, like Enzo Castellari yeah. levels of nastiness. So, yeah, I mean, Patty Lapone, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, but within the first five minutes of the movie, Patty Lapone miscarries a baby. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> happens. An elderly woman gets robbed, <laughs> Scarrett's mother gets robbed, gets her ki- finger cut off by like, uh, like these like pruning shears or something. Prune, yeah. Yeah, pruning shears. Oh man. Um, that's a, Oh God, that's a terrible moment. That's just, uh, it makes my hand hurt thinking about it. Um, cause she's a, an older woman. There's a dog that gets like gutted and hung in a shower and we don't see it. It's all off screen. And the dog is very obviously fake. Yeah. But nonetheless, just to give people warning, an old woman near the back end of the film gets mugged. She gets tossed. <laughs> that woman's arm, like, I'm. I don't know if it came out of the socket, but she gets roughed up, man. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. I mean, the film makes sure. I mean, you got to put. I guess when it comes to this type of material, you got to put the audience on the side of the character, who's essentially, regardless of your feelings on vigilantism, he's essentially by the law committing a crime. Yeah, by taking the law into his own hands. Yeah. And uh, I guess they got to find a way to motivate you to stay on that character side. And I guess by 82, they felt like they still had to do that. I, I remember Vigilante doing that, too, though, because I think Lustig killed a kid in that one as well. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. But, yeah, we, we do get there emotionally. Yeah. And, sure. yeah. And, and, and so that ties you to the character and stuff. I think, but, he, I think a kid and I doesn't even um, Forrester's wife get killed or his girlfriend. I can't remember. Something. But. Yeah. I got, I'd have to rewatch. I it love Vigilante. I, you know, going talking about these two movies, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, which one I like more, I would have said fighting back. But I think as time has gone on, I think I like Vigilante more than I like fighting back. Me too. Me too but I think they see. So here's the thing. Scarrett's performance is performance is one of uh, frustrated rage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Forrester, who we both adore, mm-hmm. it's, and as he's always done, there's more of an internal yeah. thing going on with him that he's always done so wonderfully, right? So, yeah, it's a quiet power, whereas yeah. Scarrett yeah. here, I mean, when Will says Scarrett and Rage, I mean, Scarrett, I don't know, I can't think of a performance where Tom Scarrett is more over the top emotionally than this movie. It's Off the top of my head. late 90s Pacino. It, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's amped up. I mean, he... Now, he has great moments in this. There's a great yeah, moment. Listen, yeah, he is good in the film. Yeah, there's a great moment with a balloon, uh, quiet, oh, introspective moments. And there's some really good, quiet, introspective moments where Tom Scarrett, that's what he excels at. He's really good at that stuff. Yep. But this one also, I mean, if you're not prepared for Tom Scarrett running around screaming, uh, you're going to kind of be blown away because, I mean, he is he is, <laughs> he is, is amped up in this movie. <laughs> he is very amped up. Um 
You know what amped me up was seeing Daddy Green from uh, The Last Dragon as yeah. one of Scarrett's guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's in there. <laughs> I can't think of his name, but man, I don't see Daddy Green show up in too many things. So to see him show up in Supporting World was cool. Yeah. Um, what else? So one thing this film does differently is it is, although Scarrett's the principal, like it's not just one man against everyone. He has that that agency or that organization, the PNP, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's a bit of a different approach than we usually see in the vigilante films. I think what's uh, interesting about those kind of things, you know, uh, neighborhood patrols, citizen patrols, and you and you know, I don't know if it, what it's like in Canada, but I can tell you in America, there's a lot of these. Uh, you pull into neighborhoods, and there'll be like neighborhood watches. And right. stuff like that. Now, no, nobody's dressing up in ve- a lot of vest action. This movie, this movie, a lot of vest action. This movie is heavy on vest. It is <laughs> maybe the most heavy vest movie I can think of outside of the Warriors. Yeah, um, you might be right, man. You might be right. <laughs> it's 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 heavy on vest. But um, I remember laughing at myself, even as I, you know, as cheesy as it is to say this, even I laughed at myself when I wrote that note down. <laughs> it's like <laughs> heavy vest, a lot of vest in this. Um, but you know, I think, you know, obviously people's intentions are pure watching over their children, watching over the safety of their fellow neighbors and themselves. Um, you know, again, there's nothing wrong theoretically with Scarrett's idea. No, the problem is how the character, and there's a great scene in this movie where Sarazen actually talks to him about this. And how power becomes a problem. And that's where I think this movie is a little bit more interesting than it probably than 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 an exploitation film typically is. Agreed. Because now you're saying, okay, now you've got yourself in a position of power. Now you may be exploiting the people you're taking you're exploiting the people you're protecting, but you're also exploiting the people you're protecting your family against precisely so that that complicates things and again i want to say this i think this movie for if you watch this film if you've never seen this film and you decide to buy this disc and you watch this film i think if you're a political person by nature you're probably going to be a little irritated by like the first third or half of the film but if you hang in there there's some very interesting things that happen i think politically like the cop stuff is very is very interesting Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, realize that the the lead cops are African American, mm-hmm. and there's some discussion about that actually within the film. They address that. They the, do. They were wise to do that. A lot of the stuff where they got the finger on the pulse of what they felt they they anticipated what some of the audience would have questions about uh, ethically or or otherwise about the the presentation of the film. They try to address it. Uh, to Scarrett's character as, you know, as the the avatar for for the viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's some of the most interesting things about the film is that you take the Yafet Kato character, you take the characters that are in authority, which are also African American, and you take that and you let Scarrett realize what he might be doing and how he's being perceived. Like he's not thinking about that in the beginning, but by the time he talks to these characters, he's like. Holy shit! These guys think I'm, you know, I'm I'm, I'm lynching essentially. I, you know, I may as well have hoods and, yeah. and white sheets, and uh, so it, it's a little deeper than that. 
Although I do think they still are very hammy with the political side of the whole thing. I really think, yeah, I still think that stuff's going to make some people's blood boil a little well, bit. Well, it, it is a minefield and mileage is definitely going to vary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but it's not, it, it's definitely been handled much better, but again, points for, you know, participation award for at least bringing it to the table in a film that could have just been, you know, nasty and exploitative without asking any questions, even if it doesn't really have the answers. Right. You know? Right. Um, what else do we got? So the police commissioner has a great mustache. Oh, you know what we also be for? Oh no, that's in the next film. Never mind. I was going to mention an eye patch, but I'll mention that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we will. <laughs> well, we got great mustache in this. The vest game is strong. Uh, <laughs> old woman. We talked about muggings and beatings and, Scare it. I, I don't know if this was a nod to another um, folk hero, if you will, Buford T. Pusser. But D'Angelo's got that the Pusser pole, man. That Pusser pole. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd be interested. I haven't watched Walking Tall since we reviewed it. I'd be interested almost now in going back and looking at Walking Tall in today's environment. Yeah, I know. I don't I don't know that I want to. <laughs> I know. I have a soft spot for walking tall, but Me I don't too. know. I don't know that going back and looking at it with in this current environment we're in. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel about it. I really don't. I mean, uh the Death Wish films are something else entirely. Yeah. And especially anything past Death Wish, like that that's a that's a that's a those are Bronson movies. Those aren't I don't think they're political or anything. Well, I guess they're political by nature no matter what, but they're technically just Bronson movies. Oh which became a genre all its own. But Death Wish itself, I think, is still, when it comes to this genre, I still think it's the one that asks the deepest questions about what doing this can do to a person's uh, values, I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Even though I think it, you know, obviously those of us who know have reviewed it in film and everything else, but if you know Death Wish, you know the last scene in Death Wish, you... It's not a spoiler to say this, but you know, as as poignant and as political and as smart as Death Wish is, it's in like Dino at the very end. It's like the director Michael Winter and Dino are like, "Hey, <laughs> it, you know," there's a little wink at the camera, like we had a good time yeah. shooting bad people. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So that that that, that that's always kind of been the problem with Death Wish for me, but um, yeah, uh, incendiary could be the way you could describe this film yeah yeah no i think that's fair mm-hmm. i think that's fair um dino really goes for it like he throws everything in here right down to like d'angelo's kid and this isn't a spoiler becoming like a junkie <laughs> the kid's like 12 and he's a junkie yeah so um you know he throws everything in here um that, that's a bizarre moment in the movie but it's that is really bizarre it just felt she wanted just more we need more justification for scarrett's rage you know it's, yeah, uh, yeah 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 uh we get a pretty nasty and again the violence so here's here's the thing this has great shocking moments of violence mm-hmm. it has very little in the way of good tension building in the scenes <laughs> yes I, so i totally agree with you all right, it it has really good white hat black hat stuff. It has really good payoffs and violence, but I never feel like you're not doing anything but showing up to the set piece. 
That's right. There's no tension. Like there's that scene with the old man in the park at night and it looks really good. It's well shot, but like 10 seconds later, it's on. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no stalking of the old man. No, it's just like no walking he's, and- he's walking and boom, he's attacked. He's fucking rooks. Yeah, it just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I would have liked some of that because in that sense, um, I was going to say John Flynn. You know, speaking of which, we should do Defiance at some point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Jan Michael Vincent, Jim. Um, John Flynn, but, underrated John Flynn, yes. Absolutely, man. Flynn's awesome. But Teague feels very workmanlike in that sense. Like he's, he gives us the goods, but I would have liked a little more attention. Oh, I got to say Jim Moody is Daddy Green, by the way. Jim oh, Moody. yeah, yeah. If, if, if you guys don't know who Daddy Green is, or if you don't know who Jim Moody is, look him up. I guarantee you know who Jim Moody is. Yeah, and director your pizza yeah. to Jim Moody's IMDb. Yeah, he uh, he had director your pizza. He, uh, he, what a unique haircut, right? And sideburn combo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I always know him, because yeah, uh, he, he pretty much rocked that for a good decade, if not longer. Yeah, he went long and strong with that combo, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he definitely did. <laughs> um, but visually the film, it's fine. It, it's, it's, it's good. Like I said, the, the impact from the, the stark sort of quick violence is, is, is effective, but visually it doesn't give us a ton. And it doesn't really need to, but there are a few nice moments visually, like the scene, there's a widow and she's in the streets with the black veil and she's crossing the street by the police. That's a really nice moment with the camera. There's a few moments, not a ton, um, but it's, I guess, not really going for that. Um, we get this wild, <laughs> wild brawl in the park at the back end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> really nuts. People are getting hit by cars. I got to say this, the stunt <laughs> team on this, shout out the stunt team. Yeah. Because they all take lumps, bruises. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Car explosions, <laughs> big dudes tossing guys around. Yeah. Um, I think Danny Aiello the third was one of these stuntmen. I remember seeing his name in the credits. Well, that's amazing. Um, you know how I wish the film had have ended was there's a great, great, great moment towards the back end of the film when mm-hmm. Scarrett's in the back room of his shop mm-hmm. and it's dark. There's no lights on and it's just a shot of his face. Yeah. And it's quiet for a moment. To me, that would have been the perfect ending for this film. Yeah. I can see that. I I can go one step further, and I would say I like that. I like that idea. I want to say that. I think that's a good ending. Um, But I want to be a little bit more artsy-fartsy and say where I think the ending could have really had some serious impact Mm -hmm. was right on that last car explosion and then maybe just a little smile from Scarrett, although that would have been very incendiary. (laughs) Literally and figuratively. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But at that point, you know, and I, and I, I do think, you know, I've talked a lot about this film during your talking about it as I tend to do. So I don't really have a lot more notes to go over when it comes over to me, but I do think where they drop the ball here is we don't spend enough time with the main pimp. No, he just, he happens on screen a few times, a few moments. And I'm trying to look at his name here. I I don't see him in the credits. No, I, I always remember him because of the red leather jacket and he's got a great look. And I thought, you know, he's, he's a great baddie, but in rewatching this, uh, he really doesn't have a lot of moments in the movie. Um, he has that great part in the beginning and, uh, he definitely can drive a Cadillac better than our boy Gator could in, uh, truck Turner. 
which you know, but the you know, not much better, but better. Um, but he, I, I don't know. They, I don't think they spend enough time with the, and maybe that's not this movie. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of punishing this movie for what it is. But you know, it's not the 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 heavies in this. The thugs and so what and somewhat are just they're very shallow as far as character development goes. Mm. Yeah, no, they are. They're they're really not too concerned with giving us that face to face. No, um, you know, a couple of things we didn't mention: Piero Piccioni scores the film. Yeah, doesn't do a very good job, frankly. Uh, no, I don't think so either. There's nothing in here actually that I remember at all. Overwrought, and there's scenes with his music laid over. Uh, Patty's performance, which are just so heavy. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, one thing I do want to say, too, is that this film apparently was based on, I wrote his name down here. Apparently there was a gentleman, and they show footage of him late in the film, that this was based on uh, Anthony Imperiali. Anthony Imperiali, that's his name. Mm-hmm. So this was sort of based on him. Um, in some ways. So and he's shown in the film. And I do also want to say one thing we haven't touched on before I finally just jump off is I like the exploitative cynical news angle in this. Yeah. I do like that. We get Sledgehammer, of course, coming into that. <laughs> yeah. David, uh, uh, David Rashke, or I think is how you say his name. Yeah. David Rashke. Yeah. So he's, he's in there as, as sort of a cynical uh, exploitative news guy, but they show a lot of stock footage of, of, death and violence in the beginning of the film too, just for a warning. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, har- it's pretty harsh. Actually on the uh, Blu-ray, uh, Louis Teague says that he wishes he wouldn't have done that. That it's a little, he thinks it's a little too on the nose and a little too, uh, too harsh to open the film that way. It's, it's heavy. It's, 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 it's heavy for sure. It is. This movie's uh sneakily kind of just gross and ugly in some ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it just is. I mean, I, I can't think of any other way to put it. I mean, it's it's very, it's certainly very nihilistic. Yeah, yeah. Now, I would say this. Um, I would say that my dog should be quiet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the guy that this is based on, Anthony Imperiali, I problematic to say the least in doing a little research by the way <laughs> yeah. so the less said yes the better um we'll leave it at that yes yeah and again there's this this thing with politics sometimes where we'll let everybody we'll kind of let the listeners go down that wormhole if they want to go down the wormhole i'm not going to get into all that because it's just too much um but let's just say that, you know, again, America has a rich history of sheriffs coming into towns and cleaning them up and becoming governors and mayors and, you know, presidents and things like that. And and uh, I'm not sure it's a history that we always want to be proud of. I'm sure there's been some good that's come of those things, but there's also been some abuse of power over the years. Let's just say that. Um, Let's see here. I don't really have a whole lot more to add. Uh, I did think... The, some of the most interesting parts of the film are the parts where it becomes a question of both moral corruption and administrative corruption. And oh, for, 
Yeah, and I wish it would have went more into that. I think it does a good job in taking the police chief and the and the the police captain and showing them that you know that they're they're willing to look the other way for a little while. It's kind of like the thing in Death Wish where it's oh you know uh, was it uh, I can't remember that actor's name is Gardenia. Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vincent or Joseph Gardenia. Yeah. And uh, obviously, there's a problem with it. But it's also like, hey, we're getting guys off the streets too, you know. So it, it gets into a really murky gray area really quickly when that kind of stuff come, happens. And I don't know. I, I found those scenes really interesting, and I kind of wish the film would have been a, a little more of that. I, w- I really wish there would have been more of those kind of things. But then again, it's not that kind of movie, right? I mean, it's ultimately, it's kind of a – a B movie action, uh, vigilante movie. And it's kind of just telling it's, it's basic story and mixing some action in there. And I think it, you know, it works for the most part. I think Tom Skerritt, he's an interesting actor. He, he, he really is this kind of quiet, more like Robert Forster in a lot of ways, uh, typically, but here he's very emotional. Um, very volatile and, uh, very angry and you either get, you got to get behind that character or not. And I think it kind of starts out. I'm kind of behind him. I get him, uh, even pulling the gun when he gets ran off the road by the pimp. Um, I get it. But, um, at the same time the I think some of the interesting things that Lewis Teague does here is, he kind of shows the intoxication of being a hero and how that can make somebody potentially feel, um, I don't know. Uh, I didn't what they're doing. Yeah. And, and maybe not, maybe not even questioning if what they're doing is right or wrong. That's right. It, it takes away that, that pause because you're just intoxicated on, you know, all the back slapping and yeah. it may be well intentioned, but yeah, you're not going to give pause to it. Yeah. And, and, and that I think is interesting in this kind of internet message board, you know, 4chan, 8chan world that we live in now where I don't think people sometimes pause and think about what they're doing before they do it. And they're getting goaded into doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing. Um, by the general public. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to sit here and act like I know what the hell I'm talking about and like that. I'm, you know, deeply ensconced in this, uh, what this theory that I have, but I do feel like it's that, you know, the public kind of spurring things on and sometimes people making really bad decisions because they see some post or some person on TV talking about something and you're like, what in the hell is going on? And is this the right thing to do? There's never until things start to get really dark. Nobody really says anything to the D'Angelo character until his best friend eventually says, Hey, uh, John, you think maybe we should just, you know, slow down here a little bit. You know, you're becoming exactly the thing that you don't want to be. Yeah. And I think that's when the movie is at its most interesting. Unfortunately, that doesn't come to the last third. Maybe that's by design. But, you know, up until that point, I got to say, I did have some trouble with the front 
uh, two thirds of the movie. And I, you know, normally that isn't the case with me. I usually don't pay attention to, you know, I usually don't let the world's politics kind of bleed into my movie, but this one really gave me a, and I, in a good way, I want to say that for the record, cause I still like this film, but it gave me a sour taste in my mouth. Um, but I think that's what it was supposed to do. I think it was supposed to make me be like questioning everything that I'm cheering on here. Cause you know, these movies exist, right? I mean, uh, Denzel Washington's getting ready to release the equalizer three. I mean that, uh, you know, he's essentially a killer in those yeah. movies. Uh, there's no, you know, the only justification is he's right and you're wrong. That's the only justification. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and you know, so these movies are interesting to me when you think about them politically, but the difference here I think is that D'Angelo has a political, he has aspirations to be in politics and to think about a man who is willing to go where D'Angelo goes without giving anything away to be a politician. It's not new in America or probably any country, mm-hmm. but it is scary as shit. Right. I oh mean, yeah. It's scary that people will go that far. That's, that's, that's the, probably the problem I have with it the most, but I, this, uh, this disc is pretty nice from uh, arrow. They don't have a commentary track or anything. I would wish that would have liked to had a Lewis T commentary track on there, but it does have an interview with him. It's about a half an hour, 45 minutes long. It's really good. And him talking about his career pretty much. And the movie looks really good in Blu-ray. I have to say, I don't think it's been on the arrow channel yet. I don't know if it's on there now. I didn't look, but I don't think it is as of yet, but it's, it's interesting. This movie has always kind of struggled to get out. I don't know if it's a rights issue thing or, or what it is. Of course, you know, Bill Lustig owns most of his own stuff. So he's able to put a lot of his stuff out. So vigilante's always had Blu-ray and DVD and 4k releases and whatnot. But, um, this one took a long time to get out. And uh, if you go back and listen to our show over the last 15 years, we've kind of talked about it off and on. I don't think I ever put it on a roadmap, but I've often mentioned that we should cover it uh, yeah. over the years. And uh, I wonder, as with most things, I wonder, you know, kind of thinking about this, you know, martyrs, things like that, these incendiary transgressive films. I wonder how we'd feel about them now. You know, that that's, that's the interesting thing about aging about time and about culture is that things can perceptions can change. And, uh, that as I get older, that's the more most interesting thing. And I got to say this film is, I thought it was just some kind of goofy fun in my memory, kind of goofy fun, Tom scared vigilante movie. But what I really came away from is almost this political think piece with some violence and some questionable behaviors. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised watching it this time. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. It's it's asks questions. Like I said, I don't know that it necessarily has all the answers, but it's it doesn't just plow forward mm-hmm. with this absurd glee that other films have. Right, right. Yeah, it's not Death Wish two or Death Wish three, or even Vigilante in some ways. It's a little different than that, but yeah, it's certainly very interesting. So I recommend people check it out. Definitely, I'll kick it over to you for Make or Breaks MVTs. Nice. Uh, my my make or break is the scene with Koto at the theater. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I love it. I, I think it it's where we really see, like I said earlier in the review, that Koto's you know five to ten years ahead of where Scarrett is, and has had to live through a lot of things that Scarrett will never have to live through. So he sees things a little more clear eyed. 
than Scarrett does. Um, and I think it's just a really good scene. Really good scene. Um, MVT, I'm going to go with Scarrett because he's our guy, right? And Yeah. Um, Even as problematic as some of his politics are and everything in this. He's and 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 honestly, even as problematic as some of his overacting is, yeah, I still think he is the best thing in the movie. There's still enough humanity and decency from him that he's believable and likable in the role, and and he has an inherent humanity and likability. So I think he's you get someone that was much less likable, and I think the performance you do tune out as the viewer. Right. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's the guy, uh, I give this one a 7.25. I think it's a good film. Um, nice, nice. it's an interesting, uh, entry into the genre that asks some questions that other ones don't. So, yeah. um, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty much in unison here. Uh, I like, uh, probably the only thing we're, well, matter of fact, about the only thing we're really different on is the Kato scene. I, I love that scene you talk about, but I think I like the other one more where he has the kids up against the wall there, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Kato scenes are really some of the most pivotal and, and coming away from it, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, man, this film needed more Kato. <laughs> Oh man, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it needed more of that back and forth between D'Angelo and Ivanhoe Washington. Um, there, there's some great scenes I think left on the table between those two characters. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of a missed opportunity. Uh, it really. is. And, and they're great together. Tom and, uh, Yafet, they're, they're great together. Um, they're just, I'm, I mean, yeah, it's an alien, uh, reunion of sorts, but they really work well off each other. Um, so I'm going to go with that scene. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, for me, the second best scene is, is that, uh, dance choreography scene where Yafakato is like fired up, but he's also doing a little shimmy, a little shake, a little ballet, pretty impressive tights, a little, little, uh, rope headband, just things I never thought I'd see. Yeah. <laughs> what does he, he's always accessorizing. Well, he wears a, a rope headband, I think in, uh, maybe it's a bandana and blue collar. Yeah, well, he wears one in Alien too. I believe he has something yeah, around his yes. head in Alien too. He he went through a real strong headband phase. <laughs> headband phase, and he's got that great look that you love so much in um, the Gary Busey jam we did, where he's like the old timey pilot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the leather helmet with the flaps. And I think it's uh, Eye of the Tiger, maybe. Eye of the Tiger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was like a World War, yeah, well, almost like a World War One pilot, right? Like Red yeah, Baron or something. <laughs> Totally, man. So he's always accessorized well. Low-key accessorization. Yes. I love the pilot. The pilots in movies like, you know, we've got to make sure we tell people he's a pilot. Well, how do we do that? Well, pff, we put him in a Red Baron costume, of course. Yep. Scarf as well. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Scarf's got to fly. Um, yep. I agree with you on the uh, the MVT of the piece, Tom Skerritt. Uh, again, don't agree necessarily with his politics or nothing, but uh, I think emotionally he is the heft of this film and you follow through on that storyline whether you agree with this character or disagree is an interesting uh, kind of psychological test i think of yourself and i think it's kind of a profound experience in some ways i mean do how do you feel do you feel like he's doing the right thing do you feel like he's doing the wrong thing do you feel like he's a criminal do you feel like he's a hero uh, there's a, there's a lot of good questions there. So I think Scarrett kind of portrays that. And my score is just a little bit below yours. It's a straight seven out of 10, but I could easily be 7.25. Cause I agree with you. This is a, it's a good movie. 
It's not a great movie, but it it and and not as good as Vigilante and Death Wish and some of those films. Um, but it is in the conversation as far as Vigilante films go. Uh, very interesting. And uh, yeah, incendiary. Again, I use that word not to show off, but I mean, that's the word that I thought of when it was over. I was like, wow, that's a hot button movie. <laughs> you know, oh, that yeah. that could cause some conversation in some groups, you know, some, especially if a bunch of friends get together and they don't ever talk politics and they're all very political and suddenly they're like, Hey, uh, we got a lot to talk about here, guys. Some are cheering, some are not. <laughs> Very interesting. All right, that is the big show. We want to thank Arrow Video for uh, letting us uh, check out Fighting Back on uh, the Blu-rays. And uh, check them out, obviously. Uh, big part of the show. And they release a lot of stuff that uh, we would cover either way, even if we weren't sponsored by them. Uh, there's just they, they are that label. That does that. There's a lot of great labels out there nowadays. Obviously, we've been associated with some of them over the years. Uh, I want to just say thank God for these labels because they're keeping some of these uh, misbegotten or forget or just plain forgotten films uh, alive. So thankfully, they yeah. exist. So want to thank them and uh, yeah, just uh, I don't really have much else to say. Check out the uh, family group of podcasts. Not a bomb. Watch Skip Plus. Married Clickers. Feminine Critique, uh, Love That Album, all these See Here podcasts, Raiders of the Podcast, so many, Chin Stroker versus Punter, all these folks that have been with us and friendly with us over the years, they're all worth checking out. And oh, definitely. Definitely get in there. And I don't really have anything else. What are we doing next week, Will? Next week, we are going to go back to Italy. Um, Italiano. Yeah, we sure are, man. We're going to go from Italian-American to just straight-up Italian. Um, Philippe Leroy is going to return to the show after many a moon. And we're going to be talking about uh, Piero Schivazappa, one of the more fun names we've had to say on our show. His jam, The Laughing Woman, which is kind of a, a sexual politics, bizarre S&M art house, pop art Italian <laughs> film. Scored by Stelvio Cipriani. Hey. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to talk about that one. Um, that was, uh, yeah, I I thought I was getting into one thing and I got into something else. That's what I'll say. Oh. I had never seen it before, so uh, that was a first time watch for me. And I thought I was walking into one thing. I saw the trailer, I saw the artwork for the poster and everything else. I even read the synopsis, and I thought I was still getting into something else that I completely got into. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> We will. We will. All right. Uh, nothing else to say. Um, we'll see you on the uh, the next week there. I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.